Welcome to Briefly Legal, your podcast briefing on legal news, developments, and legislation on the go. Brought to you by the attorneys of Crow and Dunleavy. The following should not be considered as a substitute for legal advice. Visit CrowDunleavy.com for more information. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Adam Childers, here with the podcast Briefly Legal, brought to you by the law firm of Crow and Dunleavy. Well, I'm here in the Crow's Nest in downtown Oklahoma City, just baking in this summer sun that uh, is doing all of us in, but that's okay. It's nice and uh, climate controlled inside here, and I'm pleased to be joined by Don Shandy, uh, someone who's been with the the program before, and he's going to be here to revisit an issue that we talked about back in April, and that was the U.S. Supreme Court case of um, the EPA versus uh, West Virginia. Virginia or West Virginia versus EPA, to be precise. And so uh, I'm glad to have you back here. Don, say hello to everybody. Well, hello to all the listeners out there. And Adam, good to be back and maybe talk about this case a little bit further. Absolutely. You know, one of my favorite things to do on this podcast is we we introduce some great ideas and a lot of times sort of uh, tease what happens next. But uh, when we get to close the loop, as it were, you know, and at least kind of showcase, you know, what you were telling us in April, you know, and, and, and how it all came out to be here earlier this month. That's a great thing. And that's what we're doing today. We're, we're going to talk about this uh, U.S. Supreme Court case. And back in early April, we, uh, you know, you and I gathered and we, we talked about it and uh, you had some pretty strong ideas on where it might be headed. But uh, now we, now we've got some definition to all that because uh, I take it about two weeks ago. Is that right? We got the decision handed down. That's correct. At the very end of the term. Well, and obviously busy term known for a lot of other big uh, historic decisions as well, but don't want the import of this one to be lost uh, by any stretch of the imagination, which is why we wanted to to come back and visit about it. Now, Don, let's kind of reset things for uh, our our listeners and kind of let's start with a little bit of a, a history on here. Remind us, if you will. You know, how we got to uh, this case even being brought, as I understand it, it kind of centered a little bit around these new source performance standards, NSPS. But uh, flesh this out for us a little bit. Remind us how we got here. Well, Adam, NSPS is uh, one of the major programs of the Clean Air Act. And under the new source performance standard um, program, EPA can regulate specific emission sources. And of course, The case that we're talking about today uh, addressed uh, coal-fired power plants. And historically, what originated, this all originated during the Obama administration when um, uh, they adopted the Clean Power Plan, or CPP, as it's often referred to. And the idea is this. Under Section 111D, as in Donald, um, of the New Source Performance Standards, EPA has the authority to require emission controls to be installed on certain existing sources. It could be pulp and paper, refining. Uh, In this case, it was coal-fired power plants. And the idea in the Obama administration was that under 111D, the administration wanted to address greenhouse gases because uh, obviously you have more greenhouse gas emissions coming from a coal plant than from, let's say, a natural gas-fired plant or a renewable plant like air 
or uh, even a nuclear plant that has very little air emissions. So sure. it was a strategy that they relied upon. And it's important to understand what the Obama administration did. As I mentioned earlier, it is acceptable under 111D to put emission controls on a plant once you go through the rulemaking, the whole process. In this particular instance, specific controls were not proposed for a coal-fired power plant sector. In essence, what the Obama administration decided it wanted to do was um, switch, require coal plants to switch to natural gas or uh, move more towards renewables, wind, solar, those sorts of things. And so it was, the philosophy was for the first time in the Clean Air Act under 111D, not to control the specific unit, but to pick winners and losers. Uh, and in this case, the loser was going to be coal. Absolutely. Course. There's the rub. This is kind of a time-honored tradition, as I understood it. But yes, you're right. It's the winners and the losers aspect of it that really put people into their respective corners and made this a big fight. I mean, we're talking, I'm sure, billions. billions. Yeah, right. It, yes. It, it, the implications, the cost implications were enormous. But the air quality implications were also enormous. For example, um, the EPA decision in uh, during the Obama administration, they believed that moving to these so-called cleaner sources like natural gas and renewables um, and away from coal would reduce greenhouse gases by 27 percent by 2030. Mm. So it was a dramatic, dramatic, not just decision, but a, a dramatic uh, reduction that they expected as a result of, uh, of uh, the clean power plan. Now, when you were uh, giving the, the 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 number to the Act One Eleven, you you, you D is in Donald. Yes, uh, I feel like there was a uh, a little bit of foreshadowing there. Uh, obviously, um, the the next administration took a, a different approach, and I guess that sort of helped initiate the litigation that ultimately you know led its way to the U.S. Supreme Court. That's correct, and even the Clean Power Plan, it, it was litigated. At one point in 2016, there was a stay placed on it. And then the Trump administration came in and decided, look, we, we don't like this. We think there's a better way to regulate um, uh, for greenhouse gas emission reductions. And so the Trump administration replaced the Clean Power Plan with its version called the Affordable Clean Energy Rule, or ACE is commonly referred to. And during the uh, replacement of the Obama-era uh, 111D proposal, the Trump administration made a very, very interesting, uh, or the record was uh, very interesting because it said, look, the decision that was made by the prior administration involved billions of dollars. It chose winners and losers, which, you know, you don't like to see the government do. And it invoked what we talked about last time, which is this major questions doctrine. What it really uh, ended up being was um, they tagged on to a, a Justice Gorsuch dissent in another case where Gorsuch described the major questions doctrine as being, as, or he stated it's although nominally a canon of statutory construction, we apply the major questions doctrine in service of the constitutional rule 
that Congress may not uh, divest itself of legislative power by transferring that power to an executive agency, or in this case, EPA. Mm. In other words, it's back to a fundamental question. Did EPA exceed the authority Congress gave it under Section 111D? That was really the refined question. But a, a question that has presumably major implications for not not only for this case, but perhaps really any agency action out there, because there's, you know, we, we were sort of discussing uh, pre-show, uh, you know, a gridlocked Congress has become, you know, just the way we think of our, uh, of that branch and, and the way that a lot of stuff has gotten done is through executive order or through agency action. And I think everyone sort of has thought, that's probably outside of the purview of those agencies. Right. And if that's right, if that's right, then we are talking about a, a a sea change, aren't we then, in terms of what perhaps a major questions doctrine applied to other big decisions could yield? It, it, I think you're exactly right. And, and Adam, you know, in the labor and employment area, um, it's the same as the environmental area. The question many, many times is, did, did that agency exceed its authority? And we can go back all the way to the Our case, which I know you're very familiar with, which dealt with the Fair Labor Standards Act, I think, back in 1996. Or even predating that is the, um, the Chevron case in 1984. And, and it's interesting that um, Justice Scalia, Justice Thomas, uh, has historically, um, in dissents and other places, consistently said that these federal agencies at times have exceeded their authority. So that is partially why the West Virginia case is so important. And it, and it is much broader than just an environmental case, potentially. We don't know the extent of it. This, at this point in time, we'll probably need a few more cases out of the Supreme Court to determine, you know, just how far they are going to push this. But I think it's safe to say with a 6-3 majority in, in, in the West Virginia case, you had the, the uh, Chief Justice Roberts writing for the majority. It was a 6-3 to three decision. It was just what a lot of um, folks like myself anticipated would happen. But I will say Justice Roberts was strategic, as he usually is in his opinions. Mm -hmm. He could have gone much, much further. And contrary to what a lot of people have said, I'm not sure the opinion um, is as thermonuclear destructive as some people want to believe it is. Right. And here's why. Justice Roberts adopted the major questions rationale that was put forth by the Trump administration in their action under the ACE program, which essentially did away with the Obama approach. He did not say, in the opinion, that EPA did not have authority under 111D to regulate greenhouse gases. He did not say that. So it is possible that EPA could make the decision in the future on a coal-fired uh, industry sector, well, we're going to require you to install $10 million, $20 million, $30 million worth of emission control equipment to control greenhouse gases. That's fully uh, within the purview of EPA, and that the court did not uh, do any violence to that, that authority. It, it is amazing sometimes to watch the mental gymnastics that are necessary to draw up an opinion 
of that import, but still leave yourself enough room to come to at least a, a somewhat different opinion uh, in the future. But I, 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 that was one of my questions for you is how big a deal is this? So I hear you saying, let's wait and see. There's, there's wiggle room left by the, by the opinion and there's other court decisions to see if they decide to make this, you know, the next big thing. Yeah, I think so. And, and, um, and, and, and I'll throw out a couple of other things. It's clear that, the United States Environmental Protection Agency has authority to regulate greenhouse gases. They have the authority, and of course, we know most programs are pushed down to the state level where the programs are actually implemented. And it's clear to me that under other sections of the Clean Air Act, they could require states under what's called their state implementation plans to also seek across-the-board reductions of greenhouse gases, probably from multiple industry sectors. So again, I think everyone has to be a little careful here Mm. to say, oh, this is the massive win. It's a huge case for the Clean Air Act. Let's, Let's face it. It's a major, major case. And I think any federal agency regardless of whether it's EPA, you know, the Department of Labor, uh, USDA or DOE, some of these other agencies that I spend a lot of my time with, they're all going to have to look at this and say, okay, are we within the boundaries of our statutory authority? And I promise you, they're lawyers and and, uh, their management, that's going to be a critical thing for them to evaluate on any future rulemaking. Yeah, meaning that even in the absence of, of, of cases immediately coming out with other decisions, this may just change the way some agencies work just because they don't want to be out on the vanguard of the next one that gets uh, – you know, knocked down for being outside of the the, the scope of their of their agency and, the, and their standards. I, I think that's exactly right, and in and I think it also in a in a larger twenty thousand foot view um, points out how important it is to appoint Supreme Court justices. I mean, let's be honest about that. Right. And um, um, I personally think the West Virginia case was decided correctly. But um, there may be other decisions that that I end up having a problem with. And and I think the court itself, um, it's clearly pushed far to the right now. There are six strong votes. And there were other cases, which we don't have to even talk about. The listeners will remember those. They will know. Dobbs and, and all the other cases, uh, HRTA, and, which applied to Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Um, and you saw a strong move back to the right-hand side of the court. And I think you're going to continue to see that depending on the makeup of Congress in the future. Absolutely. Well, um, that's why it's so great to have uh, folks like yourself, uh, you know, monitoring these. Uh, I know you've been doing some uh, some press runs lately on this as, uh, as, as people have been reaching out and, and with good reason. Uh, I should have said this at the beginning, but of course, you know, uh, for our listeners, you know, Don is a member of our environmental group. Um, and, and just to give this a little bit of context, and why you've got such a unique perspective on all this. I know that we were talking and you've tabulated up and you've got somewhere in the neighborhood of, I think, 7 billion of uh, permitting that you've been a part of when it comes to, you know, air quality over the years and all the different, you know, industries that that entails, uh, you know, which, you know, are, again, are quite a few. Some of those that we talked about today, the pulp and paper, refining, uh, 
you know, concrete, you, aerospace, you name it, you've been a part of it. And, and to our loyal listeners, uh, you know, I, I know that, uh, Don's quiet about the such things, but I, you know, that's why a couple of different presidential, uh, administrations have, uh, you know, uh, approached him over the years looking to put you in high sector positions within, um, within EPA. Um, it, it just is a, a feather in our cap to have you here within the firm and to be an expert within, uh, this area. And, and frankly, to give the kind of advice and counsel that our clients in this sphere need, um, you know, and I'm talking now specifically in the environmental field, because this case, as you said, uh, no matter what the major question doctrine winds up doing in other areas, this is a big one for uh, clients and, and business to watch for years and years to come. And, and your your expertise is is uh, is much appreciated. So thank you, Don. I know we'll hear from you again as we hear more developments in this area and others, uh, you know, that impact uh, the environment. So uh, before closing it out, uh, everyone today, um, you know, I just wanted to remind you that uh, you can follow us on your favorite podcast streaming platform. And if you like uh, what you're hearing, you can uh, give us a rating. I'd really appreciate that. Uh, Everyone here, our producer, Tyler, loves to see those uh, five-star ratings uh, flash up for all of us. Uh, Also, for our listeners who prefer watching uh, a taping of your episodes, well, guess what? You can now get to see the uh, Crow's Nest. Uh, in person uh, when you find Briefly Legal on our Crow and Dunlevy YouTube channel. Uh, check it out. We've uh, videoed, I think, uh, the last couple of episodes, and we're really uh, enjoying doing that as well. So make sure to, su- to subscribe to your channel if you like, and uh, don't forget to send us your ideas for future topics that you'd like for us to cover. You can do that at Briefly Legal at CrowDunlevy.com. And who knows, you might just hear that topic on a future episode. So until the next time, Stay healthy out there, friends, and we look forward to spending time with you again next time here on Briefly Legal.